Every believer exists to advance the gospel. And the reason why the Spirit of God has come into our hearts and lives is to lead us into fulfillment of the greatest thing on the heart of God, and that is getting the gospel to every creature. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, that's a powerful thought. Every believer exists to advance the gospel. And based on what we've been learning over the past several weeks, the Holy Spirit is the fuel to make that happen. Stay with us as Crawford shares today's message titled, The Holy Spirit and the Advance of the Gospel. Well, it's always good to have you with us as together we look to God's Word for encouragement and instruction. We've been in the series Supernatural for several weeks now, and it has helped us get a better grasp on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a true believer in Christ. And so far, we've learned just who the Holy Spirit is, His works, His role in salvation, what it means to be filled and led by the Spirit, and today, the first part of Crawford's message about the expansion of the gospel empowered by God's Spirit. If you've recently joined us here on Living a Legacy, Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's authored several books, and among them, Lessons from a Life Coach, Make It Home Before Dark, and Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow, co-authored by his wife, Karen. Crawford now heads the organization Beyond Our Generation, providing mentoring resources to those in ministry leadership. Well, let's head to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Crawford will offer a brief review of our series so far and then examine the work of the Holy Spirit in advancing the gospel. Here he is on Living a Legacy. I began the series by saying, unfortunately and regrettably, those of us with our brand of Christianity, we tend to minimize the role of the Spirit of God in our lives. Uh, we, we, don't, we, don't, we preach more transactional messages in terms of how to get things done. There ain't nothing that, wrong with that necessarily. But somehow the Holy Spirit has been relegated to some type of uh, passing, assumptive uh, remarks. And we assume his presence and assume what he's doing. And we don't celebrate who he really is. And yet, ironically, as I've been saying each week, this is the era of the Holy Spirit from the time of Pentecost until... Uh, uh, Jesus comes back to consummate his kingdom. This is the time in which the Spirit of God is accelerating the work of God. We're to be dominated by the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've entitled the series Supernatural for a reason, because God does not want us to live normative Christian lives. He wants us to live supernatural lives. He wants our lives to tell the truth about God. He doesn't want us to get mired in incrementalism as Christians, but to know what joy and meaning and power and fruitfulness and all these things are all about, which is our heritage. It's also our legacy. It's what what we are all about, that we live for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. And so if I would just recap these messages, began by talking about, well, who is the Holy Spirit? He's not some mega force. He's not some super assistant to the Godhead. You know, he's, 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 he, uh, he's not subordinate to them, at least in his person. And who is he? And I said that he is God. He is God. He has all the attributes of God. He is omnipotent, omniscient, all these things. He is God. And the very God of the universe and the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of our hearts. That's who he is. And the second message, well, what does he do? 
What are the works of the Holy Spirit? And I mentioned a number of them, creation, regeneration, the inauguration of his church, that kind of thing. But you can summarize it in one big word. The Holy Spirit is about life. Life. He gives life to us, life to creation, life. And that's what he does, and he dominates everything that is a part of any kind of creative order. Thirdly, the message was on, well, how is the Holy Spirit related to our salvation? Do we just come to Jesus because we thought, hey, look, I need Jesus in my life. Things are not going so well, and, you know, I just, I just decided on my own to trust him. No, that, not exactly. As you look in the rearview mirror of your life, the Holy Spirit draws us, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and then the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's why he's related to salvation. Then what is the ongoing work and ministry of the Holy Spirit after salvation in our hearts and lives? Well, that's all a part of the filling and control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just doesn't come inside of our lives just for us to feel good about ourselves and to say that we, you know, he is there as a point of reference or whenever I'm between a heart and a dry place, I, I, I go back to the Holy Spirit or he's my counsel. He's, he, he's always there for me to go to. Are you serious? That's not why he exists. Wherever he is, he's there to take over. Did you hear what I said? Wherever the Holy Spirit is, he's there to take over. Thus, the Apostle Paul said in that succinct statement, and be not drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. That, 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 and, and, and Jesus prophesied this in John chapter 7, that when we believe on him and the Holy Spirit has come, who is with us and shall be in us, that out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We were born to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And I do want to say this again. I don't mean to be so strong here, but it is true. Ephesians 5.18 is not some divine uh, suggestion. It is an imperative. It is a command. And so then, therefore, any follower of Jesus Christ who's not knowingly, willingly submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit is living in sinful disobedience to God. In other words, it is so important that as a follower of Jesus, we be controlled by him he says we're sinning when we're not. And then last week I talked about the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I, I mentioned that, you know, all of, those, all of these messages are connected. And one of the great problems with preaching a series like this is that by its very nature, because of the Sundays and the weeks in between, they, they can come across disjointed. But it's all meant to be together. But particularly the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit go together. He fills us and controls us, not so we would have these ecstatic existential experiences that are just unto ourselves, sort of a consumerish mindset that God exists for my own personal happiness. No, he fills us and controls us because there's something that he wants to do through us. There are works that he's leading us to. There are things that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. The Holy Spirit is not ancillary to your life. The Holy Spirit is our life. And so he wants to guide us and lead us and direct us in every area of our lives. So we talked about the leading of the Spirit. Now today, I want to talk about, for the few minutes that we have left here, uh, the Holy Spirit's relationship to the advance of the gospel. And I want you to hear me on this. You'll be tempted to check out here because these other ones, especially the last two, you know, they have our name on it, but this has our name on it too. The, the work of God in and through the life of the believer, obviously, is number one, to glorify God. That's vertically what he's doing while we're on this side, uh, side of the sod. But, but the other work of God, what he's doing in and through us right now, every believer exists to advance the gospel. 
Every last one of us. It's not a part of what we do. It is who we are. And the reason why the Spirit of God has come into our hearts and lives is to lead us into fulfillment of the greatest thing on the heart of God, and that is getting the gospel to every creature. When Jesus took his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16, and he asked them, uh, who do people say that I am? And Peter said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus responded and said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, grammatically, that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. I will, I will, I will build my church. And what is he doing now? He's building his church. Well, how is he building his church? Through the focus on Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What he is doing right now is making disciples of all the nations through us. Listen, listen, hear me on this, hear me on this. God is called everything that we do to be the platform and conduit to fulfill that great commission. If you are a lawyer, a businessman, a doctor, a teacher, a warehouse worker, whatever you might be, that is not the stopping point. It is not that, that the Great Commission is ancillary or, or parallel to that. No, that platform is the outlet for that. So the Spirit of God exists in our hearts and lives. If you want to say, I, I don't like this term because it's overused, but you want to talk about the missional side of the ministry of the Spirit of God? Well, that's what it's all about. So, how does he advance the gospel? Anybody here ever have a personal trainer? You ever use one? Yeah. I got to tell you, <clears throat> Uh, a couple of, uh, several years ago, I guess one of our members here who is a personal trainer took a look at me and thought that I was kind of like heading too much toward the north side, if you know what I mean. And uh, so he came along and said, look, I just want to work with you. And actually, I'm glad he did because it, it, it was a tipping point with some personal disciplines I need to have about exercise. And um, so at any rate, uh, I, I remember uh, my first time meeting with him. Oh my word. I, you know, I'm telling you, yo, dude, my, my leg was not meant to go up that high, okay? Don't, don't, it's not, I'm not born to do that, man. And so like, and he said, you can do this. And then, you know, he was, he was motivating me and he says, okay, okay, four more minutes, Crawford, pick up the pace, four more minutes, you can do it, you can do it, I know you can do it, I know you, I think I can, I hope I can. Well, I did it because he was in my ear. He was motivating me. That, a silly illustration, but the Holy Spirit is God's divine motivator to do what God wants to get done. Where the illustration breaks down is that he's not external, he is internal. And the accountability and the motivation is right here. And when we're controlled by him, he makes it happen. And so I'm going to spend the time, I actually, I, you know, the, the message is so very simple and straightforward. I think that there are four ways in which the Holy Spirit which the Holy Spirit advances the gospel through us. And these four ways are mentioned in the book of Acts. I do need to say this. This is according to the law of first mention. In the Bible, when you want to know the emphasis of something and what, what's the purpose of something, 
pay very close attention as to how it was first used. The identity of the church is given to us in the book of Acts. How we should approach things is given to us in the book of Acts. You're looking at me strange. Let me take another biblical illustration. For example, worship. Do you, do you know the law, according to the law first mentioned, do you, do, you, do you know where worship was first mentioned in the Bible? Where it was first mentioned? And do you know, do you know the context in which it was mentioned? Which, which is also the definition of worship, descriptively. It was first used in Genesis chapter 22 when, I, when Abraham was offering up his son Isaac. Remember the line there? It said, I and the lad will go and we will worship and return to you. The word was used in connection to sacrifice. See, worship in the church has nothing to do with whether you nor, nor, nor I, whether we like or dislike the song choice or how loud the music is. Worship in the Bible is not a preferential thing. In fact, worship in the Bible is sacrifice. It's me sacrificing who I am for the greatness of our great God, for the glory of God as well as for the edification of others. It is, it is just the opposite in which we kind of think about it. Well, that's the law of first mention. That's all that illustration is about. But you get to the book of Acts. According to the law of first mention, then how? How does the Holy Spirit advance the gospel through us? How does he do that? Four ways. And I actually, the, the first two has to do with what he does in here. The other two is how he expresses it out here. And let me just give them to you, and then I'll, and I'll trace down about four or five different passages here in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit advances the gospel, first of all, through us, through power. Power, by power I mean inherent ability. Power, ability. I'll come back to that in a second. Secondly, he advances the gospel through us through boldness. And boldness is connected to power, but it's something else. And by boldness, what do I mean by that? I mean by boldness spiritual assertiveness. Thirdly, he advances the gospel through us by, by opportunity. This is externally, by opportunity. What, what do I mean by that? Well, by open doors. He makes it obvious. And then fourthly, he advances the gospel through us by bringing, now here you have it, I want you to hear, hear me, not necessarily us bringing the strategy to him, but by bringing strategy to us. By bringing strategy to us. So you have these four words. You have power, boldness, right? Opportunity and strategy. First of all, the Holy Spirit advances the gospel through us by establishing power. Now, I, I want you to pay close attention to me here. Um, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to quote verse 8. Uh, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. Now, part of the problem with just quoting that verse is that uh, the, the force of the verse obviously is given by the context preceding the verse itself. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, uh, Jesus has gathered his disciples together. Rewind here. The disciples heard crucifixion. They never heard resurrection, although Jesus talked about resurrection. So it was one royal mess. When Jesus died, they were all scattered all over the place. And then he rose again on the third day, put them all back together. For over 40 days, he answered every single question that they had. They ate with him. He forgave them. They even had a barbecue for Peter on the beach and 
and, and all this stuff and answered all kinds of questions that, 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 that they had. So by the time you get to Acts chapter one, they're gathered together. This is, this is kind of like, you know, the, the, the anticipation and the excitement is, is just a buzz. And Jesus has one final conversation with them before the, he ascends to heaven. Now, what you have to understand here, if you're there, you're realizing they have exposure, they have enthusiasm and excitement, and they have education. They're ready to go. Not one person gathered there on that day had any more questions about the veracity of what Jesus stood for, the validity of what he was all about, his personhood. They had none of They're ready to lay it down. What does Jesus say? He says, wait. You ate with me, yes. I answered your questions, yes. You touched me, wonderful. But don't assume that education, exposure, experience even, and enthusiasm will ever take the place of authentic power. Thus he says in verse eight, what you really need now is power. Power, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Greek word power there is the word dunamis, and it means the best translation for dunamis is inherent ability. Inherent ability. I mean, this is, this is beautiful. He says what you have is all of these emotions and all of this validation in your head and all of this emotional validation. You got it, you got it, got it. But what you really need is ability. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will take it from the realm of a passing enthusiasm and just, just sterile education. And he will produce ability and life in you to do this. As he says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You know, I don't think that what he's saying in that verse is that he's commissioning them to witness. I think he's declaring an identity based upon the ability that they have. Luke put it this way in the Luke's rendition of, of Jesus' great commission. He says, and you shall be clothed with power from on high. And the Greek word for clothed there is you're going to take on the appearance of another. The point being this, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you inside of you, not only will you witness, but you will be a witness. That will be part of your identity because of inherent ability. And so the question for any believer is this, not, it's not whether or not we have the ability to witness. It's not about the ability to share faith. We have the third person of the Trinity living inside of us. The power is there. Oh, yes, he is. He's there. He's there to exalt Christ. You don't have to have a PhD in theology or go to some Bible school or whatever. You name the name of the Lord Jesus. You've come to know him. He is there. That power is there. So the very first thing is a, is, is a baseline reality. It's an identity reality. This is foundational. You have the power. We have the power. The second way in which the Holy Spirit advances the gospel through us is not only through power, but also through boldness, boldness. I want you to flip over, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. 
Actually, um, the setup for Acts chapter four is an event that took place in Acts chapter, Acts chapter three that, that got uh, old Peter and John in a little hot water. What happened was this, you know, the, the things are going crazy now in Jerusalem. I mean, everything is just breaking out all over. The, the religious leaders who had a stranglehold on all things Jewish there in Jerusalem, they were getting intimidated to no end. They lost control. In their minds, things are going buck wild, man. I don't know what is happening here. All these thousands of people talking about Jesus. I thought we took care of him. And, you know, all this stuff is going on. And so they're losing control. And so what happens here in, in uh, Acts 3 is that, you know, this layman is healed. And Peter and John are right in the middle of all this, okay, once again. And so the religious leaders say, oh, oh no, no, no. We got to stop this mess. Enough. So they sent for him and they arrest him. And then when they arrest them, thinking like, you know, just sort of punk them out a little bit, kind of like scare them straight, you know, just sort of like uh, get in their heads a little bit and we sort of like, you know, just sort of wear our regalia and intimidate them and, you know, have them stand on this side of the desk while we sit down. It's kind of like put the fear of God in them. Well, that, that didn't work too well because... Um, Verse 7 says, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you, did you do this? That was the wrong question. They were thinking now, look, the, 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 this is to be read. We didn't give you authority to do this. So by what power, what name did you do this? Okay, now you have it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, and I won't read the rest of that. When they ask him that question, the Holy Spirit says, here's an opportunity to share the gospel. So Peter explains about the death, burial, and resurrection, and their need to turn and repent of their sins as well. Well, in fact, he closes out that little segment in verse 12, says, and by the way, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Oops, that didn't work. Okay, and verse 13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. This is what I want to point out to you. Boldness is not a part of an over-the-top personality. The boldness that we're talking about here in the book of Acts is not a part of a natural bent. Some of us are just naturally outgoing. We're very extroverted or dominant in our personality. We walk in a room and suck all the air out of the room. And, you know, that some of us just have those kinds of personalities. And so it would be a wrong thing to think that he's talking about that kind of personality. No, he's not talking about personality. He's talking about what the Holy Spirit produces. Boldness doesn't manifest itself in your Myers-Briggs or whatever you want to take. That's not what he's talking about here. Boldness is produced by the Spirit of God. Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. Four ways in which the Holy Spirit advances the gospel through us. Now we got to the first two. He advances the gospel through power and through boldness. And we'll pick it up right there next week when we wrap up Crawford's series, Supernatural. It's always encouraging to hear about what you're learning through a series like this, so take a moment to get in touch through our website. And let us know if you listen online or on radio. Your interaction with us helps ensure that this program continues to be heard here each week. 
Now, if you missed some of the earlier messages in this Supernatural series, they are available to stream. Look for the past programs link at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Thanks for being with us today. For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.